Christ according to Matthew. Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe, and he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The Gospel of the Lord. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Last week, I was uh, gently chided for avoiding the difficult gospel passage. <laughs> so I don't want to disappoint you this week. I'm going to try and tackle it a little bit. It's worth pointing out that the section of Matthew that we're in for these few weeks before this week and the weeks to come is a rather angry section of Matthew. Jesus in this section is in his final week in Jerusalem, and he is shown in these gospel passages uh, stepping up his critique of the legalism and hard heartedness of the religious establishment in Jerusalem. And he does this through the use of parables, one of which we heard today, one of which we heard last week, and we'll, heard, we'll hear some more in the weeks to come. And they're harsh. Scholars tell us that part of the harshness may be due to the fact that there were deep rivalries during Matthew's time among Jewish communities, some of whom had decided that Jesus was the one that we're waiting for, and others who decided Jesus is not the one that we're waiting for. And these rivalries were really inflamed and exacerbated by the destruction, the flattening of the temple 
and the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in the year 70. So the question, this question of who was in and who was out was not just a spiritual question. This was a question of urgent earthly importance. In the context of these parables, the question of invitation and rejection and judgment, like we hear this morning, was an urgent commentary on contemporary life. It was not uh, theoretical. Now, if you're like me and you're reading along this gospel passage, there were likely at least two places where you started to squirm just a little bit. And one of them, I'm guessing, was the king's explosive reaction to the rejection of the invitation. Right. He destroys the city. That's one. The second one, I'm guessing, is that you got a little uncomfortable when the king threw out the guest that he had just invited for not wearing the proper clothes. But I'm hoping I can shed some light on those two things. The first, um, the destruction of the city can be seen as an interpretation by the early church of the meaning of the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. I sort of alluded to that to that a moment ago. It was seen as a judgment on those who refused to accept God's invitation into this new creation that Jesus had inaugurated. Now, we rightly reject the anti-Semitic implications and history that have flowed from particular uses of that interpretation. But we do need to note that that was probably the layer undergirding that part of the parable. The second feature, the tossing out of the improperly attired guest, has uh, found a number of explanations. One is that the king is angry at this guest not because he wasn't wearing a garment per se, but because it's likely that the king would have provided a garment for him and guests like that to wear. He wouldn't have not had something for a guest that he's just pulled off the street to wear. An example of this might be one that men here have experienced before. It's like going to a restaurant that has a dress code with a jacket and a tie and a shirt. And the restaurant graciously keeps a supply of jackets and ties and shirts at the front. So patrons who may want to eat there but aren't in the proper dress can wear. They might not be the most stylish jackets, ties and shirts, but they will fit the bill. So you're offered this attire that's proper for the establishment you're going into. But instead of putting them on, you kind of stroll past the maitre d' into the main dining room wearing your best Boston Red Sox T-shirt. And you pluck a roll off the waiter's passing tray and begin to munch on it kind of casually. It's not likely that maitre d' would have been pleased and probably might have called a burly guy from the dish room to escort you out to the sidewalk. 
needless to say, for the early church, and more important for us, the stakes are obviously much higher when it comes to invitations and hospitality. The real question is, for us, what does God expect of us? What does God expect of us? We have been invited to the banquet of life just by being alive. We have been given a gift. And on top of that, each one of us has even more gifts that are particular to us. And we've been invited to the banquet of Christ on top of all that with no strings attached. And yet we're faced with the paradox. We're invited with no strings attached and we're challenged to put on a garment that fits the invitation. As with all paradoxes, both parts are true. We just need to learn which part to apply when. We get into trouble when we, we only look at the extremes. How do we apply that paradox in a balanced way? So that's one interpretation of, of the wedding garment. Another is that the guest was ejected not because she lacked the proper garments, but because when she was asked by the host to account for her appearance, she doesn't say anything and she just reaches for another hors d'oeuvre. She refuses to be in relationship at all with her host. Nothing. She rejects a relationship with her host. And rejecting relationship is, I would say, choosing isolation. And when we choose isolation, we choose a place of outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. God doesn't have to send us there. We're already there. God's desire is to be in relationship with us. And our willingness to be in relationship with God can lead to transformation. And the wedding garment is the symbol for a transformed life. Putting on Christ as a garment is actually language that Paul uses. I think it's in his letter to the Galatians. He says, put on Christ, which means put on a new way of life. That becomes not just a garment that's on the outside, but one that becomes part of who you are, who we are inside. Now, this morning, we have the gift of a baptism. Charlie's going to be initiated into this putting on of Christ way of life that we try to live into here. Going way, way, way back in the good old days, centuries ago, we would have stripped Charlie naked and we would have plunged him three times into some perhaps a little too cold water. And then we would have wrapped him in a fragrantly spiced towel to symbolize the garment that means we're putting on Christ. That is, Charlie, with our help this morning, is committing himself to a way of life where that garment is put on and then put inside. And he 
will become Christ to us and to the world. So it's time to help Charlie on his way.